Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk on the show today about tips for higher yields in wheat. But you know what? I don't care what crop you raise. The tips for higher yields in wheat, most of them anyway, are going to apply to any other crop out there. So you want to stay tuned today. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Our phone lines will be open throughout most of the show today. Again, that number is 844-442-4743. Otherwise, you can email us radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the AgPHD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, I'll give you a couple of quick things to be thinking about in wheat. First of all, I, I... it's my opinion when I talk to a lot of farmers about wheat, because I've done this for years and years and years as an agronomist, we're talking weed control, probably almost number one. Obviously, variety selection is huge, uh, but you know it really goes back to the very fundamental basics of drainage and fertility. So we want to make sure that we're doing soil testing on a regular basis doesn't have to be super often, but occasionally you got to find out what's in that soil and then making sure you have availability of nutrients when your crop needs it. Now, the number one, uh, let's say, piece of resistance that people will put up to me, wheat farmers, um, and the ones that I work with, is usually, well, Brian, I I don't get a lot of rain. We're dry, and so I can't afford to spend much because I'm not going to get a lot for yield. I'll tell you the number one thing that my dad talked about when he came after he after many years from when he came from Iowa. So he's a farmer in Iowa. Uh, after he married my mom, then they moved to South Dakota to start farming a couple years after they got married. So he'd been farming full time with his parents and brother for like 10 years after high school. And anyway, then he comes to South Dakota. But he goes, Brian, the number one thing that I learned when I started farming in South Dakota, because where he said where I'm from, we got 35 inches of rain. Here we get 22 to 24. And I I, I shouldn't say rain. That's total annual precip. That even includes the snow. So roughly you're talking one third less rainfall. He said, What I found out in Iowa is that rain corrected my mistakes. He said I had to really fine-tune how I was going to farm if I was going to farm in a drier climate. Okay, So in other words, any mistake you make will be magnified when you have less rain. So that's the first thing. The second thing you need to know is when you have less rainfall, now you've got to be really concerned about fertility more so than we have lots of rain. And here's the reason why. Because if your crop is short on any one nutrient, any one nutrient in any crop, I don't care what crop it is, what will happen is the plant will start bringing in more water even if it doesn't need water yet. Okay, so just imagine like for you as a human being. Okay, let's say that you couldn't eat any solid foods, you could only get liquid foods, and it had to go along with water. Well, what's going to happen if you're hungry then? You're going to be drinking more water because that's how you're getting your food in you as well. That's what's happening with plants. So do you see where I'm going with this? If you don't have ample fertility when that plant needs it and where it needs it, well, guess what? That plant becomes a water waster. So you can really see the difference in high fertility fields versus low fertility fields in dry country even more so than you can 
where we have ample moisture. So just think about that a little bit. Here's the other advantage you have, though, in drier country. You're not going to leach nutrients out of the soil nearly as easily as someone who has two, three, four times as much rain. Okay, so like, let's take potassium. If you're in Alabama and you have sand and you get 60 inches of rain plus you irrigate, well, guess what? Your potassium's not going to stick around. A lot of it won't even be there next year. When you're in, let's say it's the Dakotas or Montana, and you get 14 inches of total annual precip, and your soil is heavy, and your ground is frozen for half the year, that potassium isn't going to leave in your lifetime. Not in your lifetime. So don't be afraid to put a little extra potassium out there to get it up to where it needs to be so it's ample and available for that wheat crop or any crop all throughout the season. You will reap the rewards of that. So anyway, we'll talk about many other things, tips for higher yields in wheat. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, this first question comes from Brandon. He said, our farm's located in south-central Minnesota, average beans 77, 76 bushels these last two years. That's our great. fertilizer removal rates for 80 bushel beans with your fertilizer removal app is what we're doing. And we average a 26 cation exchange capacity, 2.2% base saturation K. If I bring up our base saturation K from 2.2 to 4, what yield gain can I expect in both corn and beans? It'll take a little over 700 pounds of potash to get to the 4 with these heavy soils. By the way, our corn averages the last couple of years, 226 this last year, 200 the year before. Also, if you could explain again why we should treat potash as 50% K instead of 60, that'd be good. Okay, so first of all, this 50% K instead of 60, it all depends on what language we're speaking. Are we speaking potassium or are we speaking K2O potassium? For example, when you look at the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App and almost any agronomist you're going to talk to in the United States or Canada, they're going to talk about K2O potassium. That is 60% potash. Okay, But there are soils labs. For example, we use Midwest labs. Well, they report it as potassium, not K2O. They report it as potassium. Okay, so potassium, to get to K2O, you got to multiply times 1.2. So that means that potash, instead of being 60%, is only 50% actual potassium. So all depends on what you're looking for. Do you need K2O or do you need K? I mean, in terms of what, what your readings are. Anyway, uh, talking about raising your base saturation K from 2.2 to 4, the first thing that I want to mention to you is this. If, when you're testing after the season is done, You've removed that K and you just had great crops. So you might have been 3% or more after you figured your applications of K in the spring. And then you dropped it down to the 2.2 by, by the end of the season. But anyway, in terms of actual yield gain, I would say this. Over time, you're going to expect some yield gain, but we got to look at, hey, that's just one of the components. Now, something else is going to be your yield limiting factor, but I would definitely expect yield gain and better standability with more K. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Kind of been switching up which crop we're talking about on a day-to-day basis, but I bet you're hearing some common themes from one crop to the next. Hey, here's some important things that you have to take care of if you want to make some money in that crop and if you want to get high yields. Now, it certainly helps when the market's moving the right direction. We like that, but obviously you don't have a ton of control over that one. But uh, today we're going to focus on wheat. We're going to talk about some of the tips for higher yielding wheat. we got our friend Wally West on right now with Syngenta to talk a little bit. Wally, how are you doing? Hey, doing well, Darren. How are you? Pretty good. Okay. Just knowing you a little bit, Wally, I'm going to guess that weed control is probably one of your top things. But uh, give us a few things. I know you've been talking a lot more about disease control as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah, good good lead in there. We certainly have. We've... um, Improve. We at Syngenta are very proud of our, our position in in uh, pest protection and pest control within wheat, and we've certainly improved our position the last couple of years, specifically around disease control, and even more specifically with the introduction of Miravis Ace here in uh, 2019, I believe, was the first full year that we had the registration, had the product on the market. In 2021, it continued to uh, exceed our expectations, which is always a good spot to be. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And there are a lot of different things that growers are looking for in wheat. And certainly this whole disease resistance piece has come into play as well, where growers are looking for some different modes of action and multiple mode of action products. And, and certainly Miravis Ace is one of those that delivers that. Now, when it comes to head scab protection, that's probably the one I get the most questions on. What did you see, Wally? Did you have much of a year in 2020? I know a lot of the area in your region was pretty dry. Yeah, yeah, good, good, uh, good, good question. And it was, but we still saw some, especially as you get into North North Dakota. Um, that seems to be kind of ground zero for fusarium head scab or fusarium head blight or scab infestation. And it it was a bit of an issue, not as bad as it was in 2019. So 2020, the pressure was a bit lighter, uh, but there was still still disease present, and uh, those that 
timely application, uh, it certainly paid dividends. Now, when it comes to weed control, I, I know there are a lot of different things that growers are focused on. Certainly, wheat is a great opportunity to do an awesome job on broadleaf weed control, but we're getting more and more of the problem grasses in the region that growers are trying to knock out yeah. in wheat as well. Where where are your questions that you get on weed control and wheat? Are there any weeds in particular you've been fighting? Yeah, uh, there, there certainly have, especially specific to grasses. You know, foxtails continue to be an issue, and, and certainly wild oats hasn't gone away. Uh, we we introduced uh, two years ago, I believe, if uh, memory serves, uh, Axial Bold, which is uh, a, a dual mode of action uh, product uh, for, for general grass control. And it, kind of like Miravis Ace, it, it took off, and it has certainly exceeded our expectations. So there are good good tools. You know, you're... Your thoughts on weed control is a bit different in wheat, where wheat is a bit more of a competitive play on, so the value of residual herbicides is a bit less. It's still important, but it's certainly not as important as it is in corn and soybean uh, weed management. Uh, but uh, so guess where I'm heading with this is that the majority of our, our uh, weed management tools in wheat uh, generally focus on post-emerge products with some some uh, level of residual soil residual control, but nothing like what we need in both corn and beans. All right. So talk to us about early season grass control in wheat. It's cold. It's generally pretty cold <laughs> and that makes weed control a challenge. So what are you looking for? Is it the size of the weeds? Or are you just looking for that window of time where you get good weather? What's making the biggest difference? Yeah, certainly weed size. So, it's, you know, when you think about it with uh, with the physiology of a weed like wild oats, it, it will typically come up right with the wheat, right? So they, they tend to be early germinators. Foxtails, on the other hand, tend to germinate a bit later. They're typically a bit less of an issue in wheat than what, say, wild oats is. So there we're specifically looking at that weed size for timing, you know, something into that two to three leaf uh, uh, stage of the wheat, of the weed, and then the weeds, or excuse me, the wheat is typically in the five to six leaf stage. So that tends to be uh, pretty, most years, about the, kind of the sweet spot for, for an axial bold application, for example, on wild oats and wheat. Talking with Wally West here with Syngenta. Wally, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you here heading yeah, into dear. 2021. Oh, one more thing. Well, I thank you. Yes, dear. Nope. Oh, I'm good. All right. Well, thanks, Wally. We appreciate it. Thanks, Darren. Take care. Set out to Idaho a little bit. Real happy to have Curtis Rainbolt with us with BASF. Curtis, how are you doing today? Doing great, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. Okay, so we were talking about the Dakotas here a little bit with Wally. What are some of the issues you're seeing in wheat and, and some of the tips you'd have for growers trying to get higher yields uh, out in your part of the country? Yeah, so I, I work in some diverse areas. I've got some very high-yielding dry land areas and in some areas of uh, limited rainfall and kind of a fallow uh, year in between our wheat crop situation and then also some irrigated grain. So it, it really varies. Um, is it mostly Idaho the, or, or what territory are you complete or what states are you touching? So I work in Idaho and then Eastern Washington is kind of the main areas where I, I focus on wheat. Okay. So, uh, you know, we look at those drier areas and, and the rotation maybe is a little bit more limited. Um, certainly I, I think wireworms are a building problem. Um, has seemed to increase over over the recent years. Um, you know, if we have good moisture, unfortunately, a lot of times that lets those wireworms continue to stay up near the soil surface and feed and cause a little bit more damage. 
Um, you know, so that, that's certainly a big yield limiting factor in those areas. What have you gotten to see out of the new Taraxa? Have you gotten to play with that one a bunch? I've really um, been very um, proud and happy to be able to work with that product. It, we've tested it in some of these areas, particularly, like I said, where the rotation is tight and wire worm pressure is high. And um, it is fun, um, performed very well. You know, we've really seen um, the protection of the crop in season, but I think more importantly, when we come back the following season to those plots and sample, we've seen a reduction in, in the population. And we don't have our federal registration yet, um, but uh, we're anticipating that very soon here in January. And uh, so potentially in some cases it could go on spring grain here as, as that goes into the ground here in 21. Well, it's pretty exciting because we've had the neonics and like you'd mentioned, a reduction in wireworms after using Taraxa. We just haven't seen that with the neonics and it seems like the rates just keep going up and up and up trying to protect our crop. Are, are you looking at that as one that's going to go out with a neonic or just completely replacing it? You know, in, in most of our areas, I think we will still need some neonic, uh, particularly if you're concerned about aphid or uh, hessian fly. And, 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 you know, maybe you don't always worry about hessian fly. I know we don't often in my areas, but we learned the hard way in one of our trials that if, if you do have a susceptible variety and you don't have that neonic in there, you are vulnerable to some, some other pests. And when you look at, at Taraxa, what mode of action is it? How is it different? Is it something completely brand new? So it's a brand new mode of action. So yeah, there's no concerns about cross resistance. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's not working or interfering with anything else out there. Uh, it's group 29 active is broflanolid. And, and so, um, yeah, it's got a, you know, it's, it's got a nice fit and that we can really finally again, have something that provides some mortality and, and wireworms. And it's, um, it's it's been a solid performer for us in trials, and we're really looking forward to getting it out in, in growers' hands. Now you mentioned it's not labeled yet, but should be soon, or at least we hope it will be soon. What crops are going to be on that initial label? So it's going to be all the the cereal grains. Um, so it will be a little bit limited initially, but you know we focused on wheat and barley, uh, but certainly could go in, in triticale if you're having a wireworm issue in, in that crop as well, and, and any of the other cereal grains. Small, small cereal grains, not corn. Yeah, it's really been fun here these last couple of years, and we look at some of the pipelines that companies like BSF have got, and there's a lot of cool stuff that should be coming out soon. Yeah, you know, it's an exciting part of my job, always working with a new thing. Um, and, and so every once in a while you get one. I think Terax is, um, as far as a, a fitting, fitting a need, you know, a lot of times we get products, but uh, that are new and maybe a slight improvement, but one where we've really seen a need, we're, we're happy to be able to bring it to the market. So. Talking with Curtis Rainbolt with BASF. Curtis, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing a little bit about Terax. I look forward to seeing that label soon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Talking about tips for higher yields in wheat on today's program. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. 
AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. I need the solve without the cell. With NK Seeds, I get people I trust who show me where their hybrids and varieties fit in my field without the heavy cell. So I get solutions that solve my problems from a partner who knows that success matters. Find your solve at nkseeds.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is. Profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Talking about wheat on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for joining us. You know, when you think about most any crop, and Brian started off the show this way by saying, with just about any crop that we can think of, there are a lot of common factors that go into getting high yields. We talk an awful lot about fertility, and and that's great. But you've got to get weed, insect, and disease control perfect, too, if you want to stop all those factors that could dig into your wheat yield. Got Kirk Sager on with us right now. He works with FMC out in Washington. Kirk, how you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on today. I think it's interesting in almost every crop that I get a chance to work with that a grower will get focused on one thing and then all of a sudden, oh man, I miss those weeds and wow, can you believe how much that hurt my yield in those spots? And I think, absolutely I can. I've seen that time and time again on our own farm. If we ever miss a a patch of weeds or we miss an insect outbreak, oh my goodness, it can really destroy part of your field fast. Um. Yeah, it can. And, you know, when I look at weeds and wheat, um, you know, 
two things I keep in mind is the earlier you can get rid of them and cover that germination window, the better off you are, as well as, you need to say timing. A lot of times out here, we'll miss a timing because it's too cold or the wheat gets too big or it's too small. And, and, and you know, those are added stresses on the plant if you spray it when the wheat's too big or if you have a frost. Um, and, and that's where, like, our that's where the FMC portfolio really can help the growers. Um, I know out here in Washington, we've gone to Anthem Flex as a, uh, a uh, pre-plant or a fall pre-plant to spring wheat takes a lot of the pressure off of that timing for your spring and allows you to do a better job timing the stage of the wheat than the stage of the wheat so you're not forcing one issue or the other. You know, we, we've thought about that too, getting that pre out there. And I know earlier in our show uh, we had uh, Wally West works with Syngenta and, and Wally had made a comment that the pre's aren't as critical in wheat as some of the other crops. And I don't know about that statement. I, I guess for my own, for my own situation, I just know if we don't get that pre out there, all of a sudden we might get a rain at just the wrong time. Or like you mentioned, a cold snap, just, just when we need to get stuff sprayed and now it's going to be cold for a week and stuff isn't going to work very well. And I don't know, having that insurance policy for me is worth quite a bit. Well, and I think when you think about pre's and wheat, um, a lot of acres we tend to think of their lower input. But when you think about, say, downy brome in winter wheat, you know, getting your anthem flex out there at the proper timing to get control, and you think about how much moisture you lose in wheat, how much nitrogen you can lose in wheat, those things really start to add up, you know, and they're compounded in the spring when you get to maybe a crop that's a little short on nitrogen because the weeds are thick. You try and spray them early to get with a post material to get the downy brome or the Italian route. Suddenly we've got a whole other host of stresses on that plant that are just sucking the yield away on top of the nitrogen and the moisture that these weeds have taken out. So I, I honestly believe a pre is probably more important in dryland wheat simply from a limited moisture standpoint than it is a lot of other crops where you, and corn, you're going to get rain. Yep, Kirk, that's exactly how I feel. But I got a question for you. You mentioned pre-plant application on Anthem Flex. And what we've typically told guys is do it after you've planted and even after germination has occurred. We do get concerned about using a Group 15 product that you have in there uh, too early. So can you talk to us about the timing of that and when you'd really like to see that Anthem Flex applied? So I'm a, I'll, I'll qualify this by saying I'm in, in the four western states where we are allowed to put it on pre sure um and and that goes back to you said earlier the timing to rain um with downy brum once that initial rainfall event has happened um the product won't work so you have to time it very early pre to that rain um and i like pre-plant because it does give you more time right to get a rain on top of it yep um the soils out here do lend themselves to not seeing crop response or crop injury as long as you you keep your rate under control but it also leads back to when i think about the uh um, the spring wheat we found that some of these fall applications that are in fall these fallow applications in the fall that are going to be planted to spring wheat um, are performing better than a post-plant pre-emerge or a pre-plant because in the spring it's wet that Italian rye is germinating nonstop, and it's very easy to miss that that rainfall to get it incorporated. So the pre-timings tend to work a lot better than the post-plant pre-emerge. 
Yes, I agree with that 100% in terms of weed control. My question is really crop safety and what concerns I may have if I go too early. So, yeah, I, I mean, we talk about this all the time with the pre's. Any pre, the earlier I can get based on the label, because we got to be safe, but the earlier I can get, the better chance I have for weed control. So what you're telling me is you're not real concerned, especially in those four states uh, out west, about pre-plant use and you haven't seen any issue with that group 15 hurting the wheat at all. No, and, and like I say, we've seen even in other parts of the country in some of the trials, we see being farther out pre-plant does give you a, a greater uh, level of safety. But, um, you know, in my states, from a performance standpoint, we see better performance and we have not seen any safety, crop safety issues um, as long as you're label appropriate rate and not, sure. um, you know, going crazy. But uh um, we've seen, you know, in the pollution in Montana, um, zero uh, crop response or, or crop effect from the pre-plant applications. Yeah, it's a big and, deal, and it sure is nice having that Group 15. You mentioned a couple of those tough weeds that we're using that on getting the residual control. Lots of good things there. Talking Anthem Flex here with Kirk Sager with FMC. Kirk, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. All right. Thank you. Let's head uh, over to Trent Noasad with Case IH to talk about a little equipment here. Trent, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. How are you guys today? Good. All right. What's new when it comes to seeding equipment for wheat, and, and what are some of those real key considerations that growers need to have? Well, a couple of hikes, a couple of key consideration growers want to keep in mind when they're looking at establishing or growing a good wheat stand and a high wheat yield wheat stand is you want to look at a lot of the basics. And I think one of the first areas you need to focus on is plant establishment. And a grower needs to do everything he can to do the best job of establishing his wheat crop. You know, there's the old saying, uh, well sown is half grown. And that statement, especially for wheat, as it applies to a lot of other crops, um, really pays benefit. Uh, I mean, you want to do the proper things like maintenance and repair and replace wear parts that are worn so that whatever you're using is going to perform up to its top level. Uh, you also want to make sure you're setting your drill right, uh, that the drill is level, and that you know where you, the, the moisture is in your field and you're setting your depth and setting it evenly across your drill. Uh, for Case IH, I mean, I think we have a, a unique advantage uh, with our Precision Disc 500 series of air drills. We use a patented parallel link row unit on our air drills, on our single disc air drills, uh, much the same as what you'd find on a planter. And this parallel link row unit offers the growers much more consistency in that seed placement, especially when they're dealing with tough conditions, hard soils, heavy residue, and fairly rolling topography. Yeah, you mentioned uh, some of the tough conditions. I just think about all the no-till acres and all the different crops guys are rotating through. A lot of times you've got cold weather, maybe wet weather to deal with, and all that residue. It's not easy. No, it, it isn't easy to, to deal with that. And, you know, we're talking whether it's spring or winter wheat, it's generally going in a no-till application in the West, and it's going into a generally a heavy residue situation, uh, whether that be corn stalks in, in Kansas or in a soybean stubble in the Dakotas, uh, biny, long vine residue that can really affect 
and uh, your seed placement, uh, especially on a single disc air drill, if not managed appropriately, or if not if the drill's not set up, or if you're not using the right tool. Hey Trent, uh, we're up against a break here, and I'd really like to keep you on for a little bit more. Have you got time to hang on for just a second? We can ask a few more questions. Sure. All right, thank you. We're talking about tips for higher yield in wheat. Just digging into some of the equipment things. I know everybody wants to hear, all right, what can I do? Are there some things I can do different with my drill? Yeah, there are. And we'll be right back with some more questions for Trent right after this. Stay tuned. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about some tips for higher yielding wheat and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Trent Noasad with us right now with Case IH. Trent, thanks for hanging on through the break. Oh, no problem. All right. You mentioned something earlier and you said making sure that drill is level and the depth is set evenly across the drill. That's one thing that I think is interesting. There, there's, a, there's a lot of variance. And when you do some digging out in some of these fields, you'll notice, man, what's going on here with this part of the drill? It's not uh, getting in as well as others. What are some of the common errors that you see as guys are getting drills set up? A couple of the common errors, I guess, is, is, is not taking the time to set each row unit on the drill accurately and not setting it deep enough to hit that uh, the moisture level. Uh, particularly on something like a single disc drill, uh, you need to accommodate for the residue that's on the surface. And I guess you need to accommodate for the, the, the largest amount of residue that's on the surface in a field. Um, depending on the area you're in, residue doesn't always stay put. Uh, residue can move with wind across the field, which changes that spread. So you want to be uh, setting your equipment to t- with that in mind. So that you are placing the seed to the bottom of that trench, but that bottom of that trench is still in moisture everywhere across the field so that you do get that uniform and rapid emergence in the field. Um, and it's, it's one thing to have good emergence in part of the field and have that to be a, a really bumper crop, but you have to remember those areas of the field that are performing or where you didn't get that, where you didn't get good emergence, where there is gaps in the field, that's taking away from your overall yield in that field as well across your farm. Yeah, one of the things that we notice too as we travel around, Trent, is a lot of growers are adding things on. They're adding fertility on. They're they're doing other things that could tend to, to create some issues too potentially. Do you see any of those kind of at, aftermarket add-ons creating some problems for you? And are there some additional things that, that you're getting questions on that, hey, why don't you make this standard equipment? Yeah, those things, I mean, there is a lot of add-on or third-party things across all of the, the planting and seeding world. Um, and and a lot of them are, you know, designed locally for their local conditions and may be a benefit in that local condition. Uh, you have to be very conscious as a grower or someone uh, in, in an area that's not that area that that was specifically designed for as if that's a, a benefit uh, to use in your in your seating operation and, and on your piece of equipment. Uh, some of that only uh, only you can, or only the grower himself can answer whether it's a benefit to him. We do get uh, a lot of times asked for those sort of things, but like I said, I mean, we're selling equipment for, for the wider, water, wider market, and these regionalized things may or may not work in every region of the country. So, I mean, you have to weigh that with a grain of salt. Uh, always test it first before you go hog wild into it. And and also, I guess, the most important thing is to remember the basics of what you're doing before you rely on added features and added things, um, such as, you know, added fertilizer, added micros, or that sort of stuff. Make sure that you your drill is set and that you are hitting that moisture layer and that you're distributing that seed evenly. So some easy non-cost things can probably, if you don't do that right, 
these added expenses of, of extras might not benefit you at all. That's absolutely I mean, right. You want to yeah. make sure that you're set and that your distribution system is, is, is set, that your air system that's distributing that thing has been cleaned and is free of any buildup so that you do get an even distribution across your working with and that you take the time to calibrate and get your calibration done right and accurate so that, you know, the rate you're putting out there, the population you're targeting goes a long way to achieving the yield goal you're targeting and you need to get that right. Uh, picking it, picking that population is one thing, but not being able to meter that and then distribute that's uh, another issue that you, you really want to do those basic things before you maybe get a little advanced. Get good at the basics before you move on. Absolutely. Great words there from Trent Noasad with Case IH. Trent, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Bet. Let's head over to southeastern Minnesota. Get John with us right now with a question. John, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing really good. Nice weather here. Kind of enjoying this January weather and 30 degrees. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's not bad. I, I know some of the listeners in the South will say, 30 degrees? Come on. Well, that's, that's pretty good. That's unseasonably warm for us. I've seen a couple of people with shorts on today, so that's good. <laughs> that's Minnesota for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got a question. I read in an article, and I hear some of these organic guys are using are putting hydrogen peroxide on when they spray, you know, to cut down on white mold or some of the fungus or whatever they had out there is there anything to that or uh, so we we've seen that we've we've heard talk about that for well darren and i've been agronomists for 30 years so we've heard about it for 30 years and every trial that i've ever looked at has shown almost no effect now okay. it's probably slightly better than nothing but you know for the organic guys i feel for them because they just don't have a lot of options there so for, for all of us who are using herbicides, though, you could go out there with some Cobra for like $4 an acre. And, I mean, if you, if you want something cheap, and Cobra has shown up almost as good as, as any of the fungicides, yet it's way cheaper. Just do that like right before or just when you see the very first flower in the field or right before flowering, and you run with like six ounces of Cobra. So if you want cheap, that's a really good way to go. The other thing I'll tell you is there are some some fungicides that are pretty inexpensive now, like Domark and Topsin have come way down in price. So the last two years on our own farm, we've done a combination of those two. And going full rate of Domark plus full rate of Topsin, we've spent $13. So it's way cheaper than Endura, which this year is $29. Endura is the best product. But anyway, uh, those, are, those would be some options for you. The other big thing that I'll say, and Darren talks about this all the time because he, he spends a lot of time working with all the seed breeders in corn and beans, but there is a definite difference in varieties. Some soybean varieties are really pretty tolerant to white mold and others are terrible. So that's the first thing that we would always suggest is try to find a bean that is just more tolerant. Nothing has resistance, but there are, there are certain varieties that are more tolerant than others okay all right well thanks guys you bet thanks for calling john appreciate it yep you bet yep. Bye. Bye. got a question from george in bulgaria and he's wondering about cold temperatures and planting corn he said if we wait too long to plant the corn we have normally pretty hot dry summers and things just don't work out so planting early works better but yep 
I get a few questions for you as far as what's the minimum soil temp for planting and then wondering one. is that above freezing is that day temperature night temperature overall whatever average then you said if you vary a little bit with that temperature do you try and get a little deeper or a little shallower obviously if you're shallow you get higher temperatures at don't the peak, vary it but then you get lower temperatures at night Yep, you got to get that that seed planted down in the ground for corn. If it's not at least an inch and a half deep, you're going to have a problem with nodal roots being above ground. Well, and that's what he's asking. If you're in that inch and a half to two and a half, do you vary a little bit, or do you just try and stick to the two inch? No, I'm gonna. For me, I'd try to be at two and a quarter. I might even go deeper if I'm trying to get to moisture, but two and a quarter is where I'd like to be. Okay, then the last thing here, he said, so we ran cold germination scores on the seed corn, showing an average right around 90% cold germ. So oh, good. he said, if you've got 90% cold germ, should we be increasing the rate to population on that early planted stuff to make sure that we get to our target stand of 28,000 plants per acre? Yep, you should. So when we talk about this early planting, and I, I made the comment, there is no minimum, other than, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be thawed out. Okay, so... And when you hear that, you go, well, wait a second. I was always told 50 degrees. No, that's a myth. You do not have to have the, the temperature at 50 degrees. Corn seed will germinate somewhere in the 40s. But is it great for the corn to be out there when it's in the 30s and 40s? No. But the problem is if you're in a cold climate like we are, for example, we just don't have a lot of choice. If you wait, if you delay your planting, you suffer massive yield loss. So you got to get out there early. What we talk about is using a little bit of uh, starter fertilizer, using some fungicide in furrow, using a little insecticide in furrow, and definitely using some biologicals, either in furrow or preferably seed treatment. You, you start doing all that stuff, and now you can get much better emergence and, a, and an overall better stand. Well, we'll answer more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It's about time. Applied at planting, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient flutriophol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm, and you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management too. 
Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio and right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or your emails at radio at agphd.com. This one comes from Jacob. He said, I was listening to your 2020 in review show and a farmer asked about the 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc ratio that you're shooting for. Just wondering if I put out three pounds of zinc is that going to show up in one season on my soil test will it ever all show up on my soil tests and with phosphorus being drawn down in soils how do you keep that ratio going okay so first of all with the zinc and i think my comment that day it, we were talking about all right if we wanted to build up the soil test parts per million to a certain level how to do it or how many pounds you had to put on and most of the time when i do this i just assume that 100% is going to be available, but I don't know how long that's going to take. That's going to depend on heat and moisture and the type of fertilizer that you bought. So it might happen in two months, might happen in two years. I don't I don't know. Uh, I will say for us, when we have put zinc out there, it's usually shown up pretty well in the soil test. And so when we give you a starting point, that's kind of the way I would look at it. We're going to figure 100% availability just in case you get that. Because we don't want to overshoot. And here's part of the reason why we don't want to overshoot on zinc. We talk about this 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc. There are a lot of people that have been discussing this for years. And we have proven this out on our own farm too when we've compared yield to soil test data on thousands and thousands of points. Uh, it, it, it It's there. Now, is it exactly 10 to 1? Probably not. But it's somewhere you're in the ballpark. Okay, But what we found is, boy, when we get it down to, let's say, 3 to 1 or up to 30 or 40 to 1, we get a problem on yield. So we want it somewhere in the ballpark of that 10 to 1. Okay, But the problem is, in terms of what the crop actually uses each year for phosphorus to zinc, it's not 10 to 1. If I go to the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, I'll, I'll explain what I'm talking about here. Okay, so if I've got 200 bushel corn, in terms of phosphate, now if we're talking phosphorus, that's not phosphate, I'll explain that in a second. 
But for phosphate, just listen to these pounds that it uses. A 200 bushel corn crop. Okay, to produce that much grain takes 70 pounds. To produce that much stover takes 32 pounds. So in total, it takes 102 pounds, 102 pounds of phosphate to raise 200 bushel corn. Okay. Now zinc, it takes 0.21 pounds for the grain, 0.3 pounds for the stover. So a grand total of 0.51 pounds. So if I look at the ratio of phosphate to zinc in terms of the use in the plant, it's 200 to 1. 200 to 1. Okay, now phosphate and phosphorus are not the same thing. To get phosphorus and convert it into phosphate, you multiply times 2.3. So if I'm going to convert my phosphate back down to phosphorus, I've got to divide by 2.3. So if I take that 200 to 1, let's say, say I take my 200 number, I divide that by 2.3, that gives me 87. So the point is, I've got a ratio of 87 to 1 phosphorus to zinc usage, but I want my ratio in the soil to be 10 to 1. So one of the points that I make all the time about this is you might say, well, today my phosphorus level is 200. Okay, so what are you telling me? I got to have 20 parts per million of zinc. Well, if you want to keep your phosphorus level at 200 over the long term, then yes, that's what I'm telling you. But if you say, well, it's at 200 now, but I want my level to be at 80 every year or 100 or 50 or whatever it is, that's the level I'm going to fertilize my zinc to, okay? Because I can draw the phosphorus down so much faster than the zinc. You got to think about this year, but you also have to think about future years and what level you want to keep your phosphorus at. I bring this up and we talk about our mistakes all the time. We've screwed up so much stuff, just about everything there is to screw up. And I want you to hear how we've screwed it up so you don't make the same mistake and have it cost you a bunch of money like it cost us. That's why we do all these experiments and we try stuff on a big scale. We farm like 3,200 crop acres, so we're trying stuff all the time and it drives our, our the guys who work in our farm drives them crazy. But I don't care. Our job is to learn more to help you. So we started fertilizing for zinc. And going, well, boy, our phosphorus to zinc ratio is way off. we got to get more zinc out there. Okay, now some of this we did on purpose, and others we had a little problem with the spreader. But the point is we got a lot of zinc out there. And at the same time we were going, well, we have too much phosphorus in relation to zinc. Let's cut back on phosphorus. Well, we cut it too hard, and the phosphorus levels dropped like a rock fast because we were getting big-time yields. And all of a sudden we went from where we had 50 to 1 phosphorus to zinc down to 3 to 1 phosphorus to zinc. Well, we were getting hurt on both sides. Okay, so try to get that phosphorus to zinc ratio long term in the 10 to 1 range. All right, thanks for the question, Jacob. Get this one from Double A, who says, My wheat crop is 65 days old and I want to spray a fungicide as a preventative measure. We've got yellow rust here. Just wondering what you think the best combination is for fungicide, mode of action, or products. Uh, this He's from a different country, Brands. So he's got some different names here of some of these fungicides. And then also, there are amino acid products and NPK fertilizer products. Do you recommend ever mixing those with that fungicide app? 
I don't know what he means by amino acid products. Well, there there are a number there are a number of different amino acid products right. out there. They, if, from what I've seen, for the most part, they don't add burn or cause any problems. So but, if it's a good timing for those products, yep. they could potentially be done at the same time. Okay, but the NPK, as long as the rate's low, it's fine. But that absolutely can cause burn to the fungicide. So. For the most part, we usually talk about fungicide by itself, and then if you want to add a little something, fine. But just be careful about that because some of the fungicides out there are hot already. So I guess that's that's the, the big thing that I would say. Uh, all right, so when we talk about fungicides, the cheapest one, I'll just talk about what we have in the United States. And that is uh, the old Folicure. So the old Folicure, or basically uh, Tebiconazole, that's really good on rust. I, I like that, and it's super cheap. So if you want to go that way, fine. That's probably my number one recommendation as we get late in the season. We usually save that for heading timing. When we're at flag leaf timing, um, you know, then... You can use a number of different things if you want to. You certainly could use that, but you can only use it once per season here in the United States. I don't know which country we're talking about or what your rules are there, but yes, there are many different ones out there. The main thing is to get something sprayed and to get it out ahead of time. If you have a whole bunch of rust that's coating your plant right now, it's going to help to spray a fungicide, but you've already lost a lot of your yield potential. Uh, so there are several triazole products that I would also think about. Prothiaconazole is really good, Proline here in the United States, uh, but th- there are certainly others out there as well. So those are just a couple, Tebiconazole and Prothiaconazole, that I would think of and we have used a lot on our farm to help prevent rust. Keep in mind, all fungicides are much better at prevention than they are at curing the problem once it gets started. Thanks for the question. This one comes from Paul. He said, I am looking forward to attending your soils seminar coming up this winter. I've got a question about taking soil samples in advance of the course. We raise cattle in the gold country of California, and I'm in the process of improving my pastures. How do I figure out how to break up my pastures into sampling areas, and how do I avoid getting false results by sampling where an old cow pie laid? Okay, in terms of where the old cow pie was, you just have to manually take a look. It's just like when people go out to sample in a cornfield that was just harvested. You might want to kick some residue away in a couple yeah, spots because it might be bunched in up. In each spot that you're probing with that soil probe, you're taking eight to ten cores. So right. you may hit it on one of those, but hopefully you don't hit it ten times Okay, in, in terms of how you, you pick an area... There are people that will commonly do this off yield maps when we're in crop fields where you're not going to do that in a pasture. So the easiest way is probably just to set up grids rather than zones. So you can do one acre grids, two and a half acre grids, five acre grids, whatever you want to do. That's 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 up to you. But that is how I would set it up. That's simple and easy. And you kind of go from there. And then in the future, you can adjust things. There are a lot of different apps out there that will help you do this. Uh, we have one, the Ag PhD uh, soils app so or ag phd go to agphdsoils.com for more information on that but again there are a number of different ones out there all right thanks for that question yeah we we brought up a number of things here today when it comes to higher yielding wheat and i know that's one thing we didn't get into enough brian some of the wheat farmers have got such big acreages or, or so many acres that they're covering when we talk about soil sampling a lot of times it's man 
your one, two, five, even 10 acre grid seem like a lot of samples to pull, but you know, the better the data that we get, the better the quality of the data that you get, the better chance you have for variable rate applications that could improve your yields as well. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.